Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast, where you'll find fresh messages uploaded weekly. Pathway Church is a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. We hope that what you hear today will help you to take one step closer to Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us, and if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe. Well, it's been a great service already, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Love the energy in the room. Hey, uh, this week I was away. Um, I was down in Atlanta, Georgia um, for a conference meeting with other pastors that are part of the network of churches that we're part of, which is, I was really excited about the warm weather in the sunny south. And when I got there, it was colder than it was here. And uh, so you can feel bad for me. I know you do. And uh, so today what I want to do is uh, I want to maybe begin by reading a passage of Scripture that's from a New Testament document written by a man by the name of Peter. And uh, I want to read three short verses, and then we're going to kind of jump around and try to bring some, some explanation and some understanding to what we're reading. Um, here's, here's what it says. Let's read it first. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, and I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible, so it may read a little differently than, than what you're reading along with. It says this, therefore, putting aside all malice, guile, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander, like newborn babes, is he calling us babies? I think so. Like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if, and this is powerful, if you have tasted of the kindness of the Lord. Now, I'd like to discuss this verse today and hopefully help us to kind of understand what's going on here. The first thing I need to tell you is that this is written by a man by the name of Peter, which I mentioned. Peter was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. In fact, of of Jesus' 12 disciples, there were three that were particularly close and spent the most time with Jesus. He is one of those as well. After Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension into heaven, as the church is birthed into the world, as this this radical thing called Christianity is unleashed on the world, Peter is at the forefront, preaches the first sermon. He had literally spent three and a half years listening to Jesus preach his circuit sermons, because Jesus would have preached many of his sermons over and over again, the same concepts. That's why they were able to remember them and write them down. And so Peter had listened to Jesus, watched Jesus interact, watched how people interacted with Jesus. And so now, as a leader in the early church, as this new thing called the church is being birthed with a small group of people who have this radical notion that a man named Jesus died and rose again. And not only did they believe it, many of them had actually seen the resurrected Jesus. This is why Christianity took root and has traveled all around the world is because it's based on a historical fact called the resurrection. And so Peter is one of these, one of these individuals, and he's, he's writing to a group of new Christians, new believers, and he's writing to them to instruct them as to what the Christian life is supposed to look like because they were asking similar questions to us. Not, how can I get a better Wi-Fi signal? That's a modern question. But the, the question that you and I ask if we're in church weekly or, we, or you're in church for the first time, one of the first questions you should ask is, what is the Christian life all about? What am I actually supposed to do? What, what's the difference? What, what does this mean? And he's writing to them to answer that question. He's going to talk in his letter about how we interact with government, how we interact with our boss, our husband and wife, people around us. How does the, the Christian life, the message of Jesus, how does it affect our lives? And that's a question hopefully we're asking and we'll answer. I don't know how many of you grew up in a Christian home. I know some of you did not. 
but many of you probably did grow up in a Christian home, and so we were taught things, either, either verbally they were communicated to us, or we, we just saw it in action, and so we knew this was the way it was. But when I was a kid growing up in a Christian home, um, I learned about what Christianity is, primarily, you know, read your Bible, pray, go to church. That's Christianity. But even more than those things, it was more about what you didn't do. It was the stuff you stayed away from. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And I remember as a kid going, what, what does it mean to be a Christian? The first thing that came to mind was, don't swear. I don't know why. Probably because I got paddled if I used a curse word. You know, it was like, don't swear. Christians don't swear. So there was like this, this list of words that was off limits. And it was like, okay, I'm not, I'm going to try not to say those words because I'm a Christian. And so, the, you know, don't swear. That was there. It's not in the Bible, but it's probably a good idea not to, to curse. So don't swear. That was the first one. The second one was don't smoke. I guess my parents didn't want me to smoke. I mean, it was like, don't smoke, because Christians don't smoke. Of course, if you've ever searched the Bible, you will not find a passage in the Bible that says, don't smoke. Or, if you smoke, you won't go to heaven. It's not there. It's not true. You might get to heaven before the rest of us. <laughs> you know? But it's probably a bad idea. But, you know, it's like, that's what Christians are. They don't swear. They don't smoke. The third one is really cool. Don't drink. And in the tradition that I was raised in, it was like, alcohol was off-limits. And again, the scriptures don't say you can't have a drink. It says you are to be wary of drunkenness. There's, there's danger there. So that's like, there's some warnings, but it was like Christians don't swear. They don't smoke. They don't drink. And, and these were the kinds of things that to me is like, that's how you identify a Christian. Depending on your, again, on your, your background, um, some traditions, and you'll know who you are right away, weren't allowed, you, a Christian, you didn't go to the movie theater. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You know, you know who you are in the room. Like, you weren't allowed to go to the movie theater. You could rent the movie and watch it at home. You just couldn't go to the movie theater, right? And so there are all these crazy rules. And, you know, some of them are, you know, it's okay. Protections and guardrails and all that stuff I get. But there were these things. And it was like, if we don't do these things. You definitely didn't have sex outside of marriage. And that was a, and there's a, there's, there's Bible for that one. Okay. That's the first one we landed on. There's Bible for that. Okay. And so, so there were these rules, and if you didn't do those things, and if you, you didn't associate with certain people, and you didn't go certain places, then you were a model Christian. Unfortunately, that, as, as, as good as it is to stay away from certain things, that is not the essence of Christianity at all. In fact, when you read the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, there were these religious people called the Pharisees, and they didn't do a lot of stuff. They had rules for the rules, there were places they wouldn't go, neighborhoods they wouldn't go, people they wouldn't talk to or touch because they were keeping themselves pure for God. They were, they were living, I guess, what they would have perceived as the God life, the Christian life. And Jesus shows up on the scene, the Son of God, the very embodiment of God himself, and he goes to the very people everyone was trying to avoid and he sits down and he eats with them. Now, he wasn't saying everything you're doing, prostitution and stealing from people and these things are he wasn't saying it's okay to do it but he loved the people and he went to them and, and everyone's standing back going jesus you're crossing lines everywhere and unfortunately i think partly because of the the history of church and the history of the way many of us were raised there's this there's this sense that if that christianity is 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 all these things that we don't do and unfortunately the church because of that has become known more for what it's against than what it's for and i think that's just terrible it's tragic because Jesus didn't come going, you're wrong and you're wrong and anti this and anti that. He came and gave himself, as we've been singing about. And he calls us to do the same. 
And so I think there's, this is kind of the way I understand it and how it's been helpful for me to think about religions of the world. And I don't care whether you take Judaism, some forms of Christianity, Hinduism, you can go through the list and, and you can take all of your, your sacred religions. And if you look at them, once you get past the ceremony, the robes, the meals, the, the, you know, the bells and all of the stuff that you see as a religion... When you get down to the bottom of it, the basic essence of most world religions is this idea of behavior modification. That in the end, what we're trying to do is to get people to change the way they live, to, to do good things and not bad things, to, to meet a standard that God or some deity has set for them. And that's the basics of really the way religion is often approached. Jesus came with a very radical approach. Christianity, as it ought to be, has a very radical and different approach. Jesus came not to, be, to modify our behavior, but to transform our heart. Jesus was about heart transformation. His goal was not to get us to do things better or to not do certain things. His goal in coming and his goal in dying and being raised again was to transform something inside of us that would ultimately change the way we behave. Do you see the difference? One of them is dealing with the fruit that's hanging on the tree. The other one is changing the root of the tree, what the tree is. That's what Jesus came to do. That's what the message of the gospel that we preach and believe as a church. And so that's why I find it so interesting. As we look at this text, and I want to unpack these three verses that I've already read. Um, Peter, as he's writing about what the Christian life should be like, he, he references newborn babies, which I think is fascinating. He says this, like newborn babies... Long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted of the kindness of the Lord. Have you ever tasted something and once you got a taste of it, you had to have more? He he says, look, if you get a taste of the kindness of God, if you get even just a little, mm, just a little taste of the mercy and the love of Jesus, it will begin like a seed planted in your heart, begin to transform you and begin to change you when that thing takes root. He says, look, if you just get a taste, you will begin to hunger after God in a new way. And that's what I want to talk about today. Hunger for God. Hunger for God. You know, hunger is is part of the human experience. I don't know if you've noticed this, but every day we get hungry. Hunger is part of our experience. We all understand what hunger is, right? And maybe some of you are hungry now. Just me talking about food and cheesecake and chicken dripping with chalet sauce and 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 it's just hearing and thinking about it i'm making you hungry and now you're not going to listen to me preach but hunger is is common to humans right hunger could be described in very general terms as a longing within us for something that we need and so our bodies need nutrition they need sugar they need carbohydrates and they need vitamins and minerals and water and there's all these things that our body our, our biological body needs and when we don't have it what happens hunger Something inside of us, there is something that drives us to find food. And the hungrier you, you are, the better it smells, and the better it tastes. And the longer you don't eat, the more your body drives you to get a hold of the thing that it needs. Now, this is true. We all have experienced hunger in our lives. We all get that every day. But hunger is, is bigger than just our biological needs. I believe our heart is hungry, too. Our soul hungers for love. I mean, just look at people's lives and the things they do. They're, they're hungry for love. They're pursuing something that is not in them that they're trying to get to fill the hunger that is in them. And it might be love and it might be fame and it might be um, other people acknowledging them. There's all of these, these hungers. And literally, I believe that hunger really drives all of our 
motivations. It drives all of our behaviors. Everything we do is driven by some form of a hunger. You know, when a young girl wants to date a boy, it's probably not any kind of attraction, physical attraction. It's probably more a hunger for, for love or acceptance, right? And it's like, oh, somebody cares. Somebody notices. And that's like filling that hunger that's inside them for something that they need. And God created us this way. He created us to hunger for food, and he created our hearts to hunger for something more. And if we're smart about it, what we should discover is that the hunger that's in our heart for something more should ultimately lead us to God because nothing else will satisfy. You know, last weekend, my family and I were away in Ottawa for a, for a sports tournament with one of my kids. It was a nice time away, and my, my oldest son, Noah, had his 16th birthday, all right? And uh, yeah, well, that was cool. <laughs> Woo! So... He had his 16th birthday, and so we wanted to have a family dinner together, and so we, we decided to go to the Mandarin. And some of you have been to the Mandarin. It's an all-you-can-eat, you know, Chinese buffet. And uh, it, it, my family had never been, and so we, we all went to the Mandarin. It was great. And, of course, we got in there, and um, I said to, we said to the server, because we were looking for a discount, we said, our son's birthday today. And uh, they're like, oh, that's so great. The guy's, our server's name was Pita, Pita. And he was very broken English. He says, ah, so good, so good. You know, and he's explaining us how to get the food and all that stuff. And, and then he says, oh, birthday, we sing song for you. And my 16-year-old son is like, no, please don't. Oh, no, 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 it's a good song. It's a good song. We sing for you. And so, so later after we ate, they came out with this big, this big, it was a Mandarin hat. And they put it on my son. And then all of these... All of these uh, servers in, in broken English saying happy birthday, and it was, and after they left, my son just looked at me, and he's like, that was awesome, and he smiled like a, it was, it was a, we have it on video, we would show it after the service or something, um, it was pretty good, but you know, while we're at this Mandarin, I mean, the spread, you could imagine the food, if you've been there, the spread of food is amazing, and so there's food everywhere, more food than you can ever eat, and, and so my son Noah and I, you know, decided that we were going to eat as much as we could. Because we wanted to get the most value for our money, right? This, you know, it wasn't gluttony. It was good stewardship of our resources. That's <laughs> what we tell ourselves. So we kind of went back and forth, you know, four plates of food or whatever. And I remember leaving the place feeling bigger than when I went in. And there was this sense, like if somebody had offered me, hey, would you like a bite of this? No. I am completely full, completely satisfied. I don't, don't offer me food. I won't need to eat for a week. That's how I felt. What's incredible is five hours later, guess what? <laughs> hungry again. And this is the issue with hunger, is that hunger only breeds more hunger. Like if you eat, it satisfies you for a moment, but then you need to eat again. And so, so often in our lives, this hunger, this internal hunger drives us into relationships, drives us to buy whatever, a car or whatever the next thing is that we think will satisfy us. And then once we have it, it's like, oh, I feel satisfied. And then a week or a month or a year later, it's like, oh, I'm hungry again. It didn't really, it didn't really satisfy. And Jesus has a conversation with a lady in, in John chapter 4 where uh, he asks for a drink of water, and she's drawing water out of the well. And, and he says, this water that you're drinking, it will satisfy your thirst, but you will be thirsty again. It won't satisfy you. He says, but the water that I give will become in you a, a well spring of eternal life. He says, if you have me, you'll never thirst again. Jesus says, look, the very thing that, that you and I and people all over this world are searching for in our careers, in our money, in our relationships, the very thing that we're hoping will finally satisfy and quench the hunger in our heart, is like, it will be found no other place than God. 
That's it. He satisfies the deepest longing of our heart and that hunger that we experience. I believe that every action and behavior that we do is driven by some form of hunger. And so that's why I find it so fascinating that, that as, as Peter is talking about what it means to be a Christian, he's referencing babies drinking milk and being satisfied. And it's like, what, what are you talking about? And so I want to look at the text, and we're literally going to walk through those three verses, and I'm going to jump around and try to bring some context to all of this. But in 1 Peter chapter 1, sorry, chapter 2, verse 1, he begins those three verses that we read in this way. He says, therefore. Now I have to stop there. Because anytime you say the word therefore, it means that what I'm about to say is directly connected to what I just said. And if we had hours, we could go back and study the entire first chapter of his letter, but we don't have time. So let me just show you a couple verses and pull out an idea that's at the center of the first chapter. He says this in the 22nd verse of the first chapter. He says, fervently love, this is how we're to live, fervently love one another from the heart. Now that means that it's a desire that's coming from your heart. Like that's not talking about say you're sorry to your brother and give him a hug. Like mama used to tell you to do. That's not, that's not what this is about. It's saying that there's, there's a desire, a hunger in your heart to do the right thing. Well, how does that happen? Because I know I don't feel like doing it that way. How does it happen? He tells us, he says, for you have been born again. Born again. What does that mean? I remember hearing that phrase when I was like five years old. And people talk about being born-again Christians. I'm like, how's that different from a regular Christian? Right? And I hear born-again. And some of you maybe heard that term. You're like, oh, that's good. The born-again Christians are the weird ones. That's that's, that's the way I thought of it. The born-again Christians are the ones that are doing crazy stuff, asking everybody about Jesus, you know, walking up to people in the mall and and all that kind of stuff. Like, the born-again Christians are the really radical ones, and we're just the regular, you know, everyday Christians. But this this term born-again is actually comes from Peter. And as you're going to see, it comes from Jesus as well. And what he's talking about is he's talking about uh, something, a transition that's happened in the heart. Because what's birth? Birth is a transition. Like, you're not in the world, and now you are. That's a transition. You're in your mama, and now you're out in the cold air screaming. Transition. Something has, massive has shifted. Something has changed. You've moved from one place to another. And what Peter's talking about is he's saying that, that the Christian life is lived out of some form of a transition, being born again. To bring some more clarity to it, um, John tells us about, in his third chapter of his gospel, he tells us about this time when a religious leader named Nicodemus, very smart man, very intellectual religious leader, he sneaks away at night and he comes to Jesus in secret. And he says to Jesus, and you can read it at home, John chapter 3, he says to Jesus, he says, I know you're from God. Nobody, Nobody heals the sick, nobody speaks like you do, nobody draws crowds like that saying the things you say unless you're from God. I know that, that's settled. But he still didn't understand what Jesus was all about. And Jesus turns to him and he says, Nicodemus, he says, unless a man or unless a woman is born again, they cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So there's this like earthly realm that we all live in and we're all here. Okay, you're here, you're alive, earthly realm. Jesus says, my kingdom is not one that you can see right now. It's, it's a spiritual kingdom. And heaven is a spiritual place. So we've got this natural earth and this spiritual heaven. And he says, you want to get into heaven. You want to be in my kingdom. He says, the only way is the same way you came into this world. You get born into it. Hmm. Nicodemus says, I don't understand. Nicodemus literally asked him, he's like, born again? He says, can I, can I crawl back into my mother and come out again? And Jesus is like, dude, 
He didn't actually say that, but he was like, no, like, that's not happening, right? So he's like, how, I've been born once, I get that, we all get that. How many of you in here were born? About half of you, the rest are cyborgs or something else. You may not remember it, folks, you were born, just trust me, okay? Talk to your mom. You came into this world, somebody remembers, and, and you came into this world through a process called birth, and guess what? Jesus says it's the same with my kingdom. You, you, don't, you don't pay a fee and get in. You don't like just show up at an event and get in. You're birthed in. And it's a spiritual birth. And it is as real as your natural birth. It is a transition of the heart. There's something that changes within you as you're birthed into his kingdom. And, and probably every single person in this room knows the date of their birth. You might be able to say which day of the week it was, the year. Uh, maybe even you know the hour that you were born in. But how many of you know the moment that you were born into God's kingdom? Some of you do. Some of you remember the moment when maybe you knelt down beside your bed and prayed a prayer. And just, it, maybe it was a, seemed like a foolish prayer, but you were like, God, come into my life. And something shifted inside. Maybe it was sitting in a service, listening to a worship song, and something shifted in your heart. There's no formula for this. You don't, you don't choose God births something inside of you, and it changes everything. And so, I need to remind you also that birth, when we're talking about this new birth, birth is not the end goal, folks. Birth, my friends, is just the beginning. My wife and I have had the privilege of, of, of four children that we've had, and I was present for all their births, and I can tell you this with certainty, that their birth, their entrance into the world, that transition was not the end of the road. That was actually just the beginning. Like as, as big of a deal as the delivery and all that stuff is, and I won't talk about any details, I'll get in trouble. But as, as big a deal as that, when it was over and baby is, is in mama's arms, it wasn't like, sweet, glad that's done, put the baby down, walk out of the hospital. Done, born, got my ticket, we're good. It wasn't like that. No, that was just the beginning of the process. Because now we have these little babies, these little children, and they have to develop, and they have to grow into something, right? And so birth isn't the beginning. And here's another point. Um, You had nothing to do with your birth. You actually had nothing to do with your natural birth, trust me on this, or your spiritual birth. (laughs) This is fascinating. Because just just like when you were born in the natural, you had no part in it. You were just there. Mama did all the work. And you could walk around starting like, oh, no, I was a great baby. I came out no problem. And, and if we called your mom and talked to her, she would have a different story. Like, hey, how was so-and-so? Were they good? Did they birth themselves well? They're like, what are you talking about? They did not, I did it. Their fat head made it harder, right? That's what happened. And, and it's true about our spiritual birth. Like, no one can walk around with, like, pride and arrogance going, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Like, I saved my soul. I, I went to Jesus and was like, Jesus, I'm in. No. You were born in. God did That's why we sang in that last song. Before I breathed the breath or spoke, you were singing over me. I don't know how I remember how the words, but it was so good. It was just saying, like, before I did anything, you did it. You brought me. God breathes his life, puts his spirit in us, and something new forms and happens, and it's not our doing. And so we walk around going, I am so grateful. Just like we can be grateful to our parents for bringing us into this world and caring and providing for us. We go, God, you did this in me. 
You've brought me to this place. And it's, oh, it just changes everything when we understand that it's God that births us into his kingdom and into his family. So going back to 1 Peter chapter 1, he said, you've been born again. That's why we love the way we do. And then he continues by saying this, you've been born again, not of seed that is perishable, but imperishable. That is, he says, through the living and enduring word of God. In other words, we've got these two births, the natural birth that brings us into this world and a spiritual birth that brings us into God's kingdom. And he says, he's referring to both. He says, you were not born of perishable seed. How many of you know when you, I'm not going to tell you how, where babies come from today. Um, there's a seed involved. Let's just say that. And the seed gets planted and then it begins to grow and then this new life is birthed. Okay, you understand. But that seed is perishable. I'm standing in front of you. I literally contain the DNA, the genetic makeup of my parents, my mother, my biological parents, my mother and father. They, they literally brought me into this world and that's why I, I look a bit like my dad and a bit like my mom and I, and I have their hair color and eye color and all of those things that you can study in school and biology class. And so I'm literally made up of their genetic material. What they are, they passed on to me. Problem is, they're going to get old and die, and so will I. It's perishable. It's not eternal. But I, I contain their DNA. Does that, that make sense, right? So I contain something of them inside of me. I'm born in their, in their likeness. And so that's why we have physical traits like our parents. And then there are these learned traits. And honestly, there's always this argument in, within the scientific community about how much of the, our behaviors are actually learned, like watching people and learning, and how much of it is actually part of our our physical makeup, right? It's hard to distinguish where that is. And so, you know, when we were in Ottawa, I was driving on the road. I wasn't paying attention. I kind of blocked a lane where someone could merge, like turn left. And so I was just, I could have stopped, but I didn't. And I was in the guy's way and he was really mad. And I knew this because my kids notified me. They're like, dad, we think that guy's really mad because he's swearing at you. I couldn't hear anybody swearing, but they were reading his lips. And he's sitting there waiting to turn left. And I'm in his way and he's honking his horn and cursing and all that stuff. And in that moment, I just smiled at him and I waved. He's <laughs> trying to be a good Christian. No, no. And, and what's interesting is in that moment as I'm doing this, right, which is really just, it's that, right? It's rubbing it in. My wife says, you are turning into your father. But I like to just blame it on, it's DNA. It's not, I couldn't help it. I could help it. We're born of perishable seed. In the first birth, we're born. We have the likeness of our parents. We may be character traits, physical traits, all that stuff. But there's a second birth that we're talking about. Born again by the Spirit, by God, a child, a son or daughter of God. That's what we're talking about. And this is, Peter calls it an imperishable seed because God is eternal. And so when we're reborn by his seed, it's an eternal. That's why we talk about eternity. Because we have eternal seed. In fact, to use the same analogy, you could technically say that when somebody is born again, when this transition happens of the heart, that God's very DNA comes inside of us. Which is why the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, peace, joy, patience, those things begin to reside in us, but they're still in seed form. Remember? When a baby is born, all the characters, attributes of the parents, uh, abilities, there's so much possibility in this little package, but it's not yet developed. And so when someone is born into the natural, they have to grow and develop. And how do they grow? They grow by feeding mama's milk. And then later they eat mashed potatoes and steak. And they, they continue to grow in their body and they develop. And this is true of our Christian walk. 
when this transition of the heart happens, we are not fully developed. We must continue to grow. We must feed on something. We must have people in our lives. And, and we grow together. We grow together. That's why um, we call Pathway Church Pathway Church. Because it's, you, don't, you don't say a prayer and then you're standing on the finish line. It's, it's a journey. And it begins in a moment. And it lasts for a lifetime and into eternity. For the rest of our lives, we're learning to develop the characters and qualities that God has placed in us by His Spirit. We're growing in it. We're growing in it. It's pathway, church, not pathways. Let's keep telling people this. It's not, there's not many ways to God. Just one. It's Jesus, right? It's not like a whole bunch of roads and you get there. No, one. Pathway. Just throwing that out there in case anybody's been saying pathways. So the imperishable seed. The first birth. We're born of perishable seed. That's what our parents gave us. We're in this world. It's the new birth, the second birth, born again. We're born in some way in the likeness and image of God. Paul puts it this way. He says, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells inside of you. God himself and his attributes and qualities and power and, and all of it lives inside of us, but it's in seed form and it has to grow and develop. Is this making sense? So I'm trying to help you to understand how Peter was considering Christianity so we can understand his words in a new way. With this new life that we're talking about, this birthing that God does in our spirit, comes a new hunger. So I don't know about you, but my wife and I, as I said, had four children. And the one thing, they're all different, but the one thing that was similar about all of them, they were all hungry. Little babies. Ah! Hungry. All the time. All of them. And I couldn't help. So I just had to sleep. (laughs) Like, there was nothing I could do. With the new life, with the new life comes a new, a new desire. And uh, just like you, you don't have to teach a baby to be hungry, do you? No, they, they know. I mean, they, they want their milk. They know that and that desire is in them and it drives that behavior. Here's, here's the big idea. When you've been born again, when God does this work in your heart, you begin to desire him in a new way. You begin to desire to behave differently. Many of the things that we were taught as kids not to do, we'll just stop doing them because our heart is leading us somewhere else. We have new hungers. Is that, that making sense? And this, so, this is the beauty. Uh, really, the role of the church isn't to tell everybody how to live. The role of the church is to tell people about Jesus. And when they meet him, they'll just start changing. We don't have to clean them up. That just happens. You, you don't have to teach a baby to eat. It just eats because it has this new desire because it's been born. And so, with all of that in mind, we go back to the text. Therefore, in light of all that we just said, the new birth, okay, all that we understand. Therefore, he says, putting aside, it's like pushing out of the way all malice, guile, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Now, these are all things, right, that that come naturally to us. You put kids in a schoolyard, you'll see all of that. They just figure it out. Those are natural human tendencies and evil desires that just happen But he's saying that when we're born again, when God begins to change us, all of a sudden, like, you can imagine uh, if you've ever seen a baby, a one-year-old sitting in a high chair, and you're trying to feed the kid. And this is where I did get involved, and I could help feed the kids, and I'd be putting, here's a little piece of ham, and here's some mashed potatoes and some corn, and i put it on the little tray in front of the kid, and the kid's going, throw it off the tray, push it off, 
And, and you're like, try this, and mm, 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 isn't that good? And you're trying to like trick them into behavior modification, all that stuff. And then mom just happens to walk by with a bottle, shake, 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 shake. Baby wants nothing to do with that anymore. It's like, ah! That baby knows what it wants. And that's, that's literally the image we have here, putting aside these things. There are things that came naturally to you before, but when this new birth happens, you're just like, you know what? I'm just not interested in that anymore. I'm not interested in those games. I don't want to talk like that anymore. I don't want to be around those people doing those things. I want that. And there is this new hunger for God that drives everything that you do. This is the image that he gives us. So it's not like, don't do these things and you're a Christian. It's like when you're a Christian and God has been birthed something in you, you'll be like pushing those things out of the way to get more of him. You see it? And so we continue. He says, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word. You don't have to teach that. There's just a hunger for God that comes when he transforms our hearts. Long for the pure milk of the word that by it, he goes on to say, you will grow in respect to salvation. As I said, this is a journey that we are on. We grow day by day, month by month into his likeness, into his image. Many of those things, those qualities, those abilities that God has placed in us in seed form at this new birth, they begin to develop and grow. Just like a tree, you know, you plant a seed in the ground, you're like, well, it's just a seed. But when that thing comes out, it's like, ooh, now it's a stick. Now it's a big stick with a few leaves. Oh, whoa, now it has like an like a actual stem with branches. And, and then eventually what appears? Fruit. It's like, oh, I see that it's an orange tree because there's oranges hanging on it. Now, you can't just take a leafy bush and hang oranges with string on it and call it an orange tree. But that's what religion tries to do. Religion says, if you do these things, you are this. But Jesus says, actually, no, you'll know a tree by its fruit, not because of what you hung on it, but what it produces. So you don't even have to ask somebody if they're a Christian. You can just watch their life, and eventually you're going to be like, ah, I think I can see the fruit. Because you can't, you can't hide hunger. Have you ever been visiting someone's house? They invite you over for dinner, and you come at 5, and dinner's at 5, and it's 6.30, and the food still isn't on the table? And you're just like stirring and looking around. You can't hide hunger. Like it's eventually it starts, to, it starts to show up, right? The fruit will always show up. Like you can pretend to be something for a while, but eventually it becomes obvious that that's not what you are. So Jesus says, oh, forget it. We're not going to hang some fruit on your branches. I'm going to plant something in you that will grow up and produce fruit for eternal life. Is this making any sense today? And so he says that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Man, when you... Say a prayer, have this moment where you're like, hey, something changed inside of me. I'm a follower of Jesus. That is just the beginning, friends. You haven't even scratched the surface of what he wants to do in you and through you. We grow up into salvation. And then he says this, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Man, once a person experiences the love and kindness and forgiveness of God, it it does change you. It begins to shift something on the inside. So here's the question I want to close with. Here's the question. Are you hungry for God? Now, there's a couple of reasons why I want to ask this question. One, maybe there was a time in your life when God did something in your heart and you just couldn't get enough of him and you were so hungry. And now that's gone. You've stopped feeding. And that hunger has dissipated and other hungers have grown. Uh, maybe today is a moment where you go, you know what? That hunger isn't there like it used to. And I'm turning my heart back to God and asking him 
to help me be hungry again. And that's a prayer I know he'll answer. Or maybe you're here and you're like, I don't know anything what they're talking about, but I know that there is a hunger in my heart that I can't fill anywhere. And if God is the only one who can satisfy, then I choose him. And maybe today could be the moment when you are birthed into his new kingdom. So are you hungry for God? Here's, here's the best news about hunger. God responds to hunger. In fact, I could argue, and this may be a little crude, that the hunger actually drives the supply. Okay? When people are hungry, food shows up. When baby cries at four in the morning, milk shows up. The, the body responds to the cry of the child. Mothers who breastfeed know what I'm talking about. There's like, they're connected. And when we hunger and thirst for God, well, Jesus put it this way. He said, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be what? Filled. You show me some hungry people who want God, and I'll show you God showing up in amazing ways. And honestly, for us as individuals, families, and even as a church, how much God moves and what he does in us, through us, around us, in our city is actually very much determined by how hungry we are for him. And the hungrier we get, saying, God, we need to see you do something in us, in our family, in our community. The more, we, more that hunger increases, the more God comes and fills that need and that hunger. You see? And so I hope today that we could renew that hunger for God. Man, to understand that what God has begun in us, he has not completed yet. And that when we feed when we spend time in his presence, when we open up this book and read the words that he said, when we love one another in community, that these things grow, it transforms us and the people around us. So with that, I want to I close in prayer and just take a moment to respond to this. Father, thank you for the words of Peter as he talks about hungering like a baby longs for milk from its mother. I pray, Father, that we would have hearts that long for you. Lord, that you would do something and continue to do something in our hearts that is so transformative that it would not be about us trying to like do all the right things and hang fruit on our branches, but rather that it would be something transformative, that our heart would be so changed by the seed of your word that you implant in us that, that our heart would begin to produce things that bring glory and honor to you. Father, if there's anyone in this room who has never just surrendered their life, they're their big head maybe is just getting in the way of receiving your love, your forgiveness, and your grace. God, that we would just say, God, would you have your way in our heart? Birth in us what you want to birth in us. And Father, for those of us who maybe once were hungry and now we are no longer hungry, God, would you stir up a hunger in us as individuals in a church? And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, some of you may be wondering uh, about our announcement because I know in the first service people were texting during my sermon going like, when's the announcement? Because uh, for those that haven't been around in the past uh, month or so, uh, we uh, started in October a a financial stewardship generosity campaign. Um, It's a two-year, one-fund initiative where we're raising our level of giving as a church. And in doing so, as we raise our level of giving, we're going to set some money aside for a future home, a space for us to continue to do ministry in the city. So that's all exciting. On November 4th, we actually, um, people that are called a Pathway Church home filled with commitment cards and wrote numbers on for the next two years of what they're going to give and handed them in. Uh, some people had one-time gifts that they were going to make to help us kind of kickstart the process. So all of that happened a month ago today. And I told you on that day, hey, this is exciting. 
Everyone's doing this together. But I said, um, we're going to need four weeks to kind of let the dust settle, figure out where we're at. And so today I said on this day, we would announce the totals and kind of let you know how we've done. And so it's pretty exciting. So if you're a guest with us here, you can just celebrate with us. That's fun. Uh, if you're new to Pathway Church, you can, you can join us. You can commit to giving. If you're part of this church and you didn't fill out a card, but you give consistently, you're still part of this. It's all, it's one fund. We're doing this together as a church. And so, um, so thankful for all that. So before I announce the totals, I'm going to share a couple announcements. Just keep you hanging. It's like, it's like TV, you know, they go to commercial. Um, we have a Christmas Eve service happening on December 24th. In fact, next Sunday we start our three-week Christmas series. So the next three Sundays will be our Christmas message series called Waiting for Christmas. The fourth and final service will be a Christmas Eve on December 24th at Showplace. And so you can get tickets online today. I encourage you to do that. This will sell out. I assure you it will sell out. Um, Once uh, people have gotten tickets in the next few weeks, we'll give invites. And you can invite friends and neighbors. You can do that now if you want. But we just wanted to give our, our church family an opportunity to get tickets before they disappear. So please take note of that. Um, today, uh, at 4 to 6, upstairs, um, there is a family event. And so if you have younger kids that love crafts and baking and pancakes, you come on back and have a, a Christmas uh, time together. It's going to be great. So we want to let you know about that. There's no cost. Our giving table's in the back. We don't hand out offering buckets of this church. People give um, at the back using our giving table. And many of our people are now starting to automate their giving online, which is super helpful because even when you're not here, giving still happens just like our budget and our bills keep happening. And that's super, super helpful. So you can give at the back if you choose to do so. And we have our prayer area available following the service. If you need prayer, God's talking to you about anything uh, that you've heard today, you can head over there and someone would love to meet with you and pray with you. So now that I have that out of the way, let's talk about these numbers. Up on the screen, you're going to see our goal. On the right-hand side, this was kind of our two-year projection for donations and income for our church. 1.15 million is what we expected to see over the next two years. Our goal, our stretch goal, was 1.75 million, which is a considerable stretch. The difference between those two numbers is the money we wanted to set aside for um, our potential space in the future. And so that's all part of this process. So I wanted to let you know uh, about our, our Kickstarter offering. So that was four weeks ago. Two Sundays ago, we asked people, we said, hey, if you're giving a one-time gift, could you give it on that Sunday? We want to have the biggest offering in the history of our church. To, for, some, for some context, the biggest offering we'd ever seen in a particular Sunday was last December, and it was just slightly over $20,000, which was very significant. Um, two weeks ago, we had our Kickstarter offering, and I'm going to read you the number. It's not on the screen. Uh, we saw on that Sunday a total gift of $195,000. 235. Yeah, so <laughs> that's good. Honkers, honkers are being handed out. You know, you, can, you don't need to blow a honker, but you're just no fun because we're celebrating. <laughs> the, <laughs> the, reason, the reason why that's so significant. Now you know why Peter said he was talking to babies, because they won't stop the... Okay. Here's the thing. The reason why those, those one-time gifts are so significant is because we're instantly able to set aside a good chunk of cash, right? We'll put it in a short-term investment. But that money, as we begin to look at spaces, something might turn up three months from now. Something might turn up nine months from now. The more we have up front, the better. So we can move and act and all those things. And so thank you for those of you that did that. It means so much. And we're so excited. That was by far the biggest offering maybe we'll have for a very long time, at least till next year. Uh, Just kidding. 
So I wanted to share with you the goal. That was our stretch goal. So you guys have your honkers. You're ready. Here's what you can do. You can just honk away as these numbers climb, and we'll stop when we've reached our goal. Yeah, it's good to celebrate, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, hey, guys, thanks, thanks, for, thanks for being here. Thanks for celebrating with us, uh, man. I'm I'm just so blown away. With the, I should tell you this. I talked to we had a, a consulting firm working with us through this process of communicating and talking about this. And uh, when I called him after our commitment Sunday, when all the cards came in, I said to him, um, he, he said, "Well, what was the response like?" And I said, "Well, I said we're still coming in. We're not sure." And he's like, "Well, what percentage of your donors handed in cards?" And I said, "Well, what's a good number?" You know, like, uh, and he said, "Well, he's like, if you could hit sixty-five percent of your donors, that would be great." And I said, "So how's eighty-five percent?" And he's just like, "Wow, yeah, that's awesome." So, man, so. I'm, I'm excited for us. I'm excited for us as a church. I'm excited for, for you, for us, and uh, God's doing amazing things, guys. Thanks for, uh, thanks for being here today. Uh, we're going to go out just having fun and celebrating, and uh, we hope you'll come back next week as we kick off our Christmas series. So thanks. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to the Pathway Church Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, go to our website, pathwaylife.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe. See you next week.